Being educated is supposed to mean being aware of the things you aren't educated about, becoming cognizant of the gaps in your own knowledge of the world. In 1992, Flannery O'Connor was one of those gaps. Being introduced to her in my early 20s was like finding an extra present behind the Christmas tree that you had overlooked. It was a kind of unbelievable gift that this woman who'd changed your life was right in your living room the whole time. Andersonville, Georgia was one of those gaps, too. But learning about it was like finding a cigar box full of Nazi memorabilia in your grandfather's closet. You kind of wish you hadn't. I hadn't learned about Andersonville formally in a classroom, but first heard of it in a song on The Killing Floor, a 1992 masterpiece by the Vigilantes of Love, one of the greatest bands to come out of Athens. The Killing Floor began to turn me out of an unfortunate, nutra-sweet country phase I had been suffering under since the early 1990s. Head vigilante Bill Maloney sang about Andersonville, but I didn't realize what he meant until we ended up there on our first Southern tour in August 1997. We were locked in hell in Andersonville And she bangs hot and stinking The stream we use is our latrine Gives water for our drinking And a hundred of us daily die to fill those fresh dug graves Ah, but the ladies, they will all turn out When we come home again Andersonville wasn't quite in my living room, but it was basically in the backyard, 120 miles south of Atlanta in a deliberately remote part of the state. Andersonville was the site of a notorious Confederate prison camp during the Civil War. Conditions were horrific there, Union prisoners were starved and diseased, forced to drink from the same shit swamp in the middle of the camp that held their own excrement. Contemporary descriptions of the place resemble those of Nazi labor camps in Poland during World War II, and the likeness is not entirely an accident. Camp Sumter, as the concentration camp in Andersonville was officially called, is often cited as a precursor to the camps of the Third Reich. The military tribunal that tried Andersonville Commandant Henry Wirtz was a model for the Nuremberg trials 80 years later. Born Heinrich Hartmann Wirtz in Zurich, 26-year-old Henry Wirtz left his wife and kids in Switzerland and ended up in Louisiana, where in 1861 he enlisted with the Confederate Army. In 1864 he was given command of Camp Sumter, which he ruled with an iron hand. Rumors that he murdered prisoners were not unheard of, nor suppressed. He was arrested in May of 1865 and charged with 13 counts of murder and personal cruelty and for conspiracy to injure the health and destroy the lives of soldiers in the military service of the United States. That spring in Annapolis, Walt Whitman witnessed a large boatload of some of those destroyed lives returning newly freed and emaciated from southern prisons like, and probably including, Andersonville. Can those be men? he asked. The sight was worse than any sight of battlefields or any collection of wounded, even the bloodiest. Whitman said that the treatment of prisoners of war in places like Andersonville steeps its perpetrators in blackest, escapeless, endless damnation. For Whitman, it was a sign of contradiction between the vaunted American mythos of abundance and the dense, sinister reality of American deprivation. Reader, he asked, 
Did you ever try to realize what starvation actually is in those prisons and in a land of plenty? That November, hundreds of uniformed Union soldiers on the grounds and in the leaf-bare treetops, along with dozens more spectators on nearby tenement roofs and balconies, watched as the demon of Andersonville was hanged from a stockade in Washington, within sight of the Capitol. As Wirtz's body dropped from the gallows, some in the crowd cried, Remember Andersonville. Wirtz is one of only a handful of men during the Civil War to be convicted and executed for war crimes, but outside the boundary of what is now Andersonville National Cemetery. In the middle of Church Street in the tiny village of Andersonville, there is, naturally, a large obelisk in his honor, erected in 1909 by the United Daughters of the Confederacy, to, quote, rescue his name from the stigma attached to it by embittered prejudice. The UDC has long been the chief organ of lost cause mythology, which still has a stronghold on the imagination of many people in this isolated outpost of Georgia's upper coastal plain. In other cities and towns, prominent statues of Lee, Jackson, Davis, Silent Sam, and other monuments to white supremacy have been removed, but the monument to Wirtz still looms over Church Street. There have been, as far as I know, no marches for its removal, no op-eds in the local paper arguing that his time is up. On the contrary, the local chapter of the Sons of Confederate Veterans holds an annual memorial service for Wirtz on the anniversary of his execution. The real monument to Wirtz is not, however, the marker on Church Street, but the thousands of white marble headstones in Andersonville National Cemetery for the Union prisoners who did not have to die here which leaves the obelisk to Wirtz on Church Street to serve another purpose, as a monument to distinctly American values, collective forgetfulness, selective outrage, deliberate amnesia. So I watch the strong and fearless reduced and disgraced Each day the heart of twisted man stares me in the face so I pray for death to take me Just like it did my friends The ladies, they will all turn out When the coffins are brought in To hear more of Bill Maloney's music, please visit BillMaloneyMusic.Bandcamp.com That's B-I-L-L-M-A-L-L-O-N-E-E Music.Bandcamp.com at night I say my prayers and then I hold you to my breast And I'm reading through the testament you gave me for last Christmas I swear I heard the children laugh Or was it angels on the plains? Or the ladies had they all turned out Cause we came home again the ladies who had all turned out Cause we came home again Or the ladies who had all turned out Cause we came home again